damn computer machines. This is Jacob Ross with JLB Morelia. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And you're listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. We're officially over the triple digit hump because this is episode 101. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics, and I'm normally sitting across from Jacob Bratz of JLB Morelia, but he's on, I guess, sabbatical. But my buddy Phil Wolf is right here. Hello. Filling in. As usual. Doing what he does best. I don't know about that. Dude, I don't think you understand just how good you are at the whole like co-hosting and podcasting thing. Well, I mean, I like to think that I'm pretty all right at it. I enjoy just, doing it. The thing is, you just you ask questions that I want to ask, but I don't think of at the time. Like it's like you ask the questions that like I'm getting in the shower about to go to bed after the show and I'm like, "Man, I should have totally asked that." <clears throat> But you're That's always, good, dude. You're always there, man. You're quick on the draw. You know what my problem is? Is my departures. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, we we segue to something, and it's it's not. There's no going back. Yeah, that's okay though, because that just gives you an excuse to do a second episode with somebody. That is totally true. You can. That's the nice thing is you can have as many episodes with people as you want, as many as they're willing to do. Yeah. Um, but tonight I am particularly excited because we have Mr. Mark Goyer of Mark Goyer Reptiles here with us. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, for episode 101. Um, Yeah. And so I want to try, like, this new thing with with most guests where it's, like, we don't sort of break down the usual, like, how did you get into the hobby? Like, if people want to hear that, I'm sure you talked about on NPR at one point. Yeah. So... That gives people that that sort of forces people to go listen to other podcasts and check out other shows and so, uh, I mean, unless you want to get into that kind of stuff, I'm okay with kind of no ask away on you to what we're keeping. You know, what do you what do you work? Well, with? real quick before we before we dive into it, if I may, oh, you yes. don't want to go over sponsors? Yes, we should. I just get so we excited, should. man. I get excited to jump. I gotta, gotta have the sponsors. Yeah, gotta have but the sponsors. Episode one hundred and one is brought to you by Steve Snakesuary and his Venom Hot Sauce. If you haven't had it yet, it's delicious. Cottonmouth is me and Jake's favorite. It's awesome. Phil, I don't know. Have you? Did you get your hands on any of them? No, I'm a jerk. Oh man, that cottonmouth is. I mean, being the cottonmouth freak that you are, that's like the sauce. I man. know, I know. That's the one. It's a. It's a, like a hot verde, right? Kinda. I wouldn't even necessarily. I didn't think it was all that hot. It just. It was really good. It was. I don't know. It's. That seemed to be and the see, most. That's- most versatile one of the bunch that you can put it on just about anything and it'll probably be good. Oh yeah. All right. But not only that, uh, Steve Snakesuary and his venom hot sauces. But if you're like Phil and you're keeping venomous, you can go to some places for racks. But no one makes a venomous rack like Sean Wagner at MP Cages and Exotics. Phil can vouch for the, that. The very best. I literally paired up uh, two pairs last night. And uh, it was smooth and safe and easy, and I didn't have to worry about things, you know, getting out or drawers being off center or whatever. It was it was perfect. It was it was built flawless. How did that go? Um, it was a horrible experience, and I regret <laughs> doing it completely. 
I mean, do why you really were they want just to go? like, yeah, I mean, were they like just super food responsive and like, no, just... so like, I don't interact with them a lot on purpose because I want them to, I, I kind of treat them like Boyga, like, I want them to just chill out, just be in their own individual tubs. Well, they're just, perps, they, they're high strung, yeah. anyways, you know, it's, exactly. They're that is the perfect word, high strung. So, one of the things you got to do when you're doing the whole you know, monsoon season type of stuff is miss them down. Well, I don't understand why anyone, they're always like, oh, miss them down, miss them down. Well, I can't spray them because if I spray them, they go batshit crazy. They don't like being like misted or sprayed. So we've got some really funky weather lately, a bunch of low pressure and the barometric pressure dropped and it got a good chill. So the temperatures were lower and, and it was the perfect time for me to do it. And Henry was pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. So finally I did it. But I wanted to wait until it was late in the evening because I, I wanted them to be like awake and active and like doing their thing. So I got wrapped up doing whatever. And I was one of being midnight. And I was like, oh, man, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to go to bed. I got to do this. And those things went bananas. I don't think I've ever actually taken them out like past like 10 o'clock at night because I usually don't mm-hmm. do venomous that late. Dude, I, I didn't. I didn't even hook them. They literally just like struck into each other's tubs, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, well, that worked." Yeah, I just so, slid right in there. She must have been doing something right. Just whoop. yeah, right. I so mean, are, are they kind of like a lot of other nocturnal stuff? That's kind of like it's it's easy to work with during the day, but then you know, once the lights go out, it's like a completely different animal. Yeah, completely different animal, and like it, and they're not. They're either a hundred percent gonna ride the hook or zero percent gonna ride the hook. Because I thought and, they were pretty much horrible all the time. No, no, and, and like my females um, are super duper chill, and the males are way more high strung. And like, doesn't really matter what time of day I take the females out; they're pretty much going to ride the hook. But the other night, dude, no, just no. They just limp spaghetti, just sliding off the hook while they're striking. And it's, <laughs> I was like, it's midnight. I was like, why do I even own these things? This is a horrible experience. I can't even take a picture of the two of them like in the tub together. Because they're so bitey that they're flying out of the tub, and I have to find myself like using a hook to scoop them. I was actually using the drawer puller as like a shovel, like scooping them up. <laughs> so uh, I and checked. You want to make next... more of them? I want to make more of them. I really do. And the colors I have are going to look so cool if they actually make babies. But I was like, normally I would wait and watch and make sure they don't fight or anything. And I was like, you know what? I don't even care. I'm going to bed. Like I'm done with this. So I just, speed. I, yeah, I locked up, and the next morning I waited till about ten in the morning because it was my day off, and uh, I wanted to make sure like the sun was up and the temps had risen a little bit. And I went and I checked, and I opened the drawers, and they're just both sitting there staring at me. So I don't know if anything happened. They're still together. I've left them up there for three days now, and uh, fingers crossed something happens. Let God yeah. sort them out. I always say. Right. Exactly. It's like I got Amazons this year, and first time ever reading Amazons. I never saw them lock up once. I really? think that seems I got fairly five tigers. common. Yeah, it seems fairly common. Yeah, they just crawl up in their hide box and mm-hmm. do their thing. You ever done See, anything like was... with venomous? Huh? I said, have you ever kept any venomous or done anything with those? No, mm-hmm. no. I'm I'm not going to do the hot thing because at some point I will get bit. <laughs> you know. At least you're honest I like yourself. it. Yeah. I, I like it. I really do. Um, I love the venomous stuff, but. It's just playing with a stick of dynamite, you know. So hmm. I just don't go there. Well, Phil does, <clears throat> and then some, because Phil's got all kinds of stuff. Yeah, 
And I think the, the laws here are pretty, it's pretty tough to have venomous stuff here in, in Washington. So. Oh, yeah. That'll definitely do it. Yeah. Uh, but you do keep, I mean, if anybody scrolls through your Facebook page, <clears throat> uh, they'll see that. I mean, you've, you're focused on Indo-Australian Boyd's and uh, sort of what was the what was the initial draw to like what what got you into those was it carpets was it something else like how do you find yourself focusing on that that sort of corner of the globe well the first draw for me um, was the green trees obviously you know everybody yeah. everybody loves green trees but um, and then getting to know you know Nick you know, Nick Mutton and, and Ryan Young, you know, to the shows and stuff years and years and years ago, introduced me to some of this other stuff, you know, which, you know, there's a lot of different cool stuff out there. I mean, there's still stuff that I still want, you know, so, and I've, <laughs> you know, really tamed down the carpet end of it, mm-hmm. carpet python end of it, and getting into more, you know, more unique stuff, so... So chondros came first or carpets? Uh, chondros came first. Okay, okay. And then um, got talking with Nick one day. I kind of sold all my stuff. I was into boas pretty heavily, you know, PC stuff and mm-hmm. all that stuff at first. And then um, got out of it for a few years. You know, didn't have much success breeding that kind of stuff. I didn't really, I was pretty young. Didn't really know what I was doing. And, and then kind of got back into it for a while. And then sold some stuff back to Nick and stuff. And then came back into it probably about it's probably been almost 20 years now wow and uh, he got to talking to nick he goes well you like green trees you'd like carpets and then ended up going home from that show with like seven carpet pythons he talked me into you know (laughs) that's how it happens and yeah that's how it happens and then just exploded from there you know um and just you know just seeing different stuff at shows and you know, being around Ryan and Nick with all, with how big, you know, with all their stuff that they have, they have a lot of stuff that people don't know about, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of different, you know, Nick doesn't just have carpet pythons. He's got a lot of other cool stuff, you know, like olives and all this other stuff. And that's kind of how a lot of, how I got, you know, got into a lot of these other Australian species was through those guys. It's bad influences, man. Oh, yeah. That's the problem yeah, with that's that's in the hobby. Like, and then, right um, in. You know, it's like the thing with the Wamina scrubs. I was over at Nick's helping him on something, and he showed me these Waminas. I'm like, dude, these things are cool. You can hold them. They're not mean. I'm trying to kill you. <laughs> you know, they're kind of a medium-sized scrub, and and there was um, some available on King Snake, and I bought a pair. Mm-hmm. And um, I produced some this year, so. And that was a clutch that wasn't supposed to happen. How big um, I was That's even, awesome. Yeah, I wasn't even going to put them together. I was going to give the I was going to give the female another year before I put them together. And um, my male just went off food. He just wouldn't eat. And you, if any of you guys keep scrubs, you know scrubs don't go off food. Oh yeah. So I, you know, I made a phone call because Nick and Ryan both produced them this year too. And I was like, "Did your scrub go off? Your male go off food?" And he's like, "No." I was like, "Well, mine just quit eating. He will." I offered him three times. He will not eat. He just turns his nose up, runs away. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, how far is, how far is uh, he from the female? I go, six feet. He goes, chuck him in there. Hey. Yeah. I chucked him in there, and I literally walked out of the snake room, went to the kitchen, 
Locked back in the snake room. I was gone for like five minutes, and I came back, and they were both locked up. That's the way to do it, man. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was a super late clutch. I mean, they just hatched three weeks ago. It'll be three weeks tomorrow. Or three weeks Friday that they hatched. That's so cool, man. So I got the first F2s in the world, I believe. Oh, wow. From what we were talking about, yeah. That's awesome. On what mean is. I well, just, congratulations uh, to that, man. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. So that's that pretty nice to add that one to the resume. So uh, I have a I have a tannin bar from from Phil that he claims was the nicest scrub ever. <laughs> Lo and behold, it's not. They're, no, they it's, are not. They are nasty. It's, they dude, are it's the, been three months, man. How is he not like, chilled out? They don't. I, I mean, do. I, I really don't mess with them much. I pretty much leave them alone. Yeah. Tana bar, tana bars are probably the worst. They're the smallest, but they are the, just the nastiest, the worst ones there I is. I don't understand it, man. I told Justin uh, countless times I would get him out of the cage, which he, he showed resistance. I would let him wrap around my bicep and just clean the cage, and he never he never once showed any kind of aggression. Yeah, I no. don't get it. Dude, I walk into the closet, and I immediately hear, Thunk. Walk, take a couple more steps. Thunk. Thunk. Just, <laughs> I don't know. Nick's he's, got a video the of, of them. Got a picture of them hatching. I was over there at his house, and they were hatching, and I put my finger. They're like out of the egg about probably three or four inches, and they're just striking <laughs> at me nonstop. <laughs> they're not even out of the egg yet. It's just wacka, wacka, wacka. That's crazy. Man. They're nasty. And dude, nobody believed me. I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, you sent me pictures say. of you holding it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You like, now the Waminas, the Waminas are the with it. the Waminas are the calmest things you'll ever see. See, and that's weird because you read about the the tannin bars and all the literature will say like, oh yeah, they're very mellow compared to other scrubs. And I'm like, mm. wrong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He's possessed. Phil put a demon in him, and then he gave him to me. That's how he. That's how he cleansed his house. He brought over someone to do like a séance or something. And this house the soul. is scrubless. Yeah. Or he just told me all that, so I would take it. Dude, no, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm, like I've got, I've got pictures of him being chill. Like I let other people hold him, like for a whole for a whole five seconds. Right. <laughs> Quick. Well, take I mean, a picture. let's let's be let's be real. I've never held him for longer than it took me to clean the cage, just because like I got a lot of animals, you know. Yeah. But other than getting him out of like the vision cage lip, which was a lot of resistance, dude, he like he would sleep in his water bowl, and like I'd pick him up out of the water bowl, and he would be like, oh oh, I'm I'm awake now. Oh, all right. He's like, I'm just gonna go up your shoulder now and just chill. And that's what he did. It's probably because he was he was cooled down from the water. Yeah. yeah okay. He okay. wasn't sure. warmed up yet. He's a freaking <laughs> he's a freaking heat seeking missile, dude. Oh, they are. <laughs> they are. And that's like I I knew like playing with Jake's that he has. Like I know dude, Jake's they can, is mean. I know Jake's they is mean. Can, yeah like they they're that thing is fully dialed in into what you're doing and when it strikes they strike but like you forget that scrubs almost have like that extra like 10% that they can throw and they're accurate and so you think you're out of range and then you know they're freaking flying past your face 
and uh, that's what that that's what that cardboard that's what that cardboard paper towel holder deals for. You just shove that right over the top of their head, <laughs> just like a and hood. you just grab them and yeah. you got them, and then you do your thing, and then you put them back. <laughs> yep. That's why you always have one of those handy around. <laughs> but carpet, oh I mean, carpet wise, you've got. You've you've got a lot of brettles. It looks like you've got uh, some inlands, which I'm yeah. So I got striped brettles. I have Priceline brettles. I have inlands. I produced last year some hypo stripes. I got mm-hmm. two. Um, yeah, a few. Um, I have some. I got a pair of jungles, a zebra, and a normal. Uh, the Carmel Head Exantics. I have a pair of albino Darwins and a lone female stripe Darwin, and then some some Carmel stuff. Got some Carmel stuff available for sale. I was actually going to ask you. You used to have. I don't know if it was considered like a red line or just a, a rusty looking animal, but you had some crazy looking red Darwins that were just super awesome like like almost like in looking i don't remember i know you posted them a while ago and dude it was just like a darwin but like this like the saddley areas were just red yeah those were babies they're they're red um or the orange i had a route i had a one of the first female head albinos that came in i had one of the first ones that had super orange sides um that female ended up being a train wreck. Um, oh, really? Yeah, she went seven years before she finally produced anything for me. Oh, uh, wow. I mean, wow. I paid a ton of money for this. I paid like $4,400 for this snake oh. back then. Jeez. You know, it was a big investment. And uh, I only got two clutches out of her. Mm-hmm. And both the clutches were like seven, and the babies were terrible. And I think the second clutch I only got like like six or something. You know, just Damn. wasn't a very good producer, and and so I sold her for next to nothing to a guy down in Portland hmm. that's going to try to do something with her. And I, you know, I told him the full story. I said, you know, she's not a good producer, but you're more than welcome to you yeah. know, to give it a shot. You know, well, she looked awesome. <laughs> yeah, she was really nice looking. Yeah, yeah, she was a really nice animal. What's your experience with the inlands been like? Because everyone I talk to says they're they're so underrated. Like they're, they're oh they are like one of the best carpets ever. That so keeping as far as carpets go, my brettles are my number one. Inlands are number two. Well, most favorite species. Cool. And have you um, bred those at all? Have you produced anything? My inlands. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've got like three or four clutches of inlands. Um, my male just died last year. Oh. So, of course, <laughs> I just picked up a. Another male, another mog, mog line male from a friend of mine here, mm-hmm. but he's a twenty, so he's not gonna be ready to go for two years. But my, Man, I've been my female's big fat hat sassy, and you know, Nick was just here last weekend, so I was hoping he had another male. I was gonna that say I could steal use. a male from him. Yeah, but he's he's only has two, so um, you know he needs both the boys in case mm-hmm. one doesn't do anything. So. He's like, damn, I wish I had somewhere to put her. I'd take her home with me. I was like, yeah, I'd send her back with you. 
you know, with yeah. the he's one that he originally produced. And those are at the top of my list, man. I've been talking to like keeping a, a bug in Eric Burke's ear about those. Just and they're and they're pretty reasonable now. Yeah. Um, Chris has got some. Chris Kakrapson here in mm-hmm. up in Bothell, Washington. That's who I got my mail from. So, and the parents were um, were produced by Nick. So there's good lineage on them. Yeah, so you could hit so you could cool. hit him up because he's I I paid three hundred bucks for my mail. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a hell of a deal. I was like, sweet, you know. But it's nice. That yeah, friends. you definitely want to have some of those in your collection. They're they're definitely different. And that's you know? that's kind of what I don't get. I mean, everyone I talk to that either has them or has kept them said how awesome they were. Just in, as far as like temperament, that they were yeah, they're just blue. like the, they're just. Yeah, and they'll get these really pretty brown saddles and stuff on their yeah. sides and stuff that come in. And they're just as Not easy to keep them. as anything else, but nobody seems to care about them. Yeah. Yeah, they get like this gunmetal blue bellies and stuff. They're just gorgeous. And once people see them in real life, they're like, whoa, those are cool. Because those babies are just this gray little thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And they don't look like much. And they're super docile. They're like brettles. They don't want to strike at nothing. Right. So the babies can be kind of challenging, but. So what is it about brettles that that has you so hooked? It's on their, that? it's their, their disposition. They're just so mellow, and mm-hmm. the way they move is deliberate. And, you know, they're just real. They're bulletproof. You got to hit them overhead with a shovel to kill them. <laughs> you know, because they could take. I've taken my female down in like the low forties. Yeah, they they don't seem to care. No, like mine didn't even have heat for like a year. I just did, I kept them at room temperature. They did not care. No, all. they don't care. They don't get respiratory infections. They just superior Morelia. Yep. Well, they live in Central Australia, so it could be 140 during the day and 32 degrees at night. And yeah. The temperature swings are just insane. They're yeah, they're tanks. All this stuff can take. You know, I've been to Australia twice and see what the conditions do. And this stuff can take big swings. I mean, I the first trip, I was like, dude, I'm treating my stuff different at home from now on. I was like, this stuff lives in this? You know, yeah, they got to meet at home. To, that seems to be the trend with everyone who goes is, you know, they go to do a herp trip and they go, wow, this is not what I was expecting. And it's totally replicatable or doable at home. Yeah, it's like, so, you know, you get all these chondro people think they got to be 1,500 grams to breed. Yeah. You think they need all these all this humidity. They don't. The only yeah. time I miss my chondros is when they're in shed. Same. That's it. <clears throat> my biggest female is a Bioc Wamina Cross, and she's 670 grams. Nice. How many uh, green stick snakes you got? I have, I got a pair of sarong locales. I have a pair of Beox. I have a 3.1 manacoris. Nice. Of course, one of the males was supposed to be a girl. And, yeah, of course, when I got it here, sex it, nope, it's boy, of course. It's how it happens. Yeah. So that's what I have right now. Um so hopefully my this stuff will go this year. I'm hoping. 
Yeah, what's your sort of your how are you keeping your green trees and what's your same as like, my same as everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a preference sense. as far as cage sizes? Uh my females are in two foot by two foot cubes. Mm-hmm. You know. Um males are in smaller smaller stuff, you know, smaller. I think I got them in I got a got them in a six foot cage that's got six different segments in it. And it's it's two feet deep, eighteen inches tall, and then they're uh, eighteen inches wide for them. And that's, that's just nice. just fine. And then and then all my cages have arboreal hides in them. Yeah, you know, Jeff was talking about out. that. Yeah, so every cage that I have is an arboreal hide, and every one of those snakes uses it. The green trees actually like go in. Oh, them? absolutely. Really? Absolutely. They lay their eggs in them. Huh. So what size, yeah. like what size are the hides? They vary Okay. from the size of the snake. Um, so I use busboy tubs for like, um, like all my carpets and mm-hmm. the pop one olives and the olives got big busboy tubs that are black that they all crawl up in. And then the other ones are just those, those molded, those little molded black ones that you can get from the bean farm, you know? Mm-hmm. So I use those for all the all the other stuff, you know, all my Amazons and the Kendoria and all that kind of stuff, you know. And they all use them. I mean, every snake I have uses them. So, and the uh, the male chondros, there's they they go up in the arboreal hide with no perch, no nothing. They just chill in there. Yeah, they'll go up and lay inside the hide, or they'll be out on their be out on the stick, you know, perched or or in and out of them all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I offer them to my boyga and my my Ganyasoma, um, and they use the hell out of them. But oh yeah, I've wondered. They I've contemplated be... giving them to chondros just to see if they'd use them. Oh yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. They use them all the time. Yeah. So I've actually done an. I've actually done a um, a Mertoli incubated clutch in those. With a condo. Really? Yeah. It was uh it was a Wamina Biok crosses that Ryan Young produced and I bred them. And Ryan and Nick was over at the house and he's like, nah, she's not gravid. You know? And so it was like it has been like a week. She was like inside of her tub for like a week. And I was like, You haven't been out in like a week. <laughs> I get the same way. So I'm I went like, up there and slid the thing lately. open and she's sitting on a clutch of eggs. <laughs> So I called Nick and I'm like, dude, she's on eggs. What should I do? And he goes, well, she all beehived up on them and shivering like she's supposed to. I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, I would just leave them at this point because, you know, they've been sitting. Who knows how long they've been sitting there. Yeah. And so I did. And she had 10 perfect eggs and they all hatched. Awesome. And actually the one in a Biot cross that I have, that I still have, that she was one of those babies. So, and you didn't put any, uh, you didn't put any moss or anything or like bedding or Yeah, anything? so I had, so what I do is if when I'm, you know, snakes are going to lay, I'll put some, some cypress, some of that, you know, zoo mid cypress mulch or whatever mm-hmm. it is in the bottom. And then I'll put some of that moss in there on top of that. And then they can curl up in there. And was that the first so, time you had done maternal with those? Yeah. Or had you played yeah. with it before? Because I've. I got a female chondro that just ovulated uh, like a week or two ago, 
And I kept saying the first time that I prayed those that I was going to do MI, and I never did. I bailed last minute. But this time, like I'm, I really, I what's think I'm the, go for it. What's the what's the combination? What are they? They're just B types. Yeah. Nothing crazy. You know, if she if, if she's on them and all curled up on them, perfect like she's supposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, let it go. Yeah. Check on them. You know, check on them. You know, check on them once a week or something. You know, pull the tub open, have a look, put it back. Let them do their thing. They yeah. know what they're doing. Give it a shot. I just, it's, I don't know. It's just, you, people are, you, you talk to a lot of guys, especially Morelia guys, or, um, you know, everyone's kind of just really nervous and gun shy to do it. Yeah. So, so my very first, my very first carpet clutch, the very first thing I ever produced, Nick told me what to do. I did what he told me to do, and it was an MI clutch. Very first time. Well, I was going to say, I think Justin got a little scared the last time. And I think last minute, if the story is correct, he was like, I'm going to do MI. And then that didn't happen. But now, see, now he told Tim Morris that he was going to do it. So now he has to. <laughs> now he's committed. He has to do now it. Now he has to do it. My yeah. advice is just is just check on her, you know. Mm-hmm. Check on her once a week or twice a week. Just kind of take a peek in there and make sure she's doing what she's doing. And then... Did you adjust your temps at all in the in the cage? Are you running nope. like nope heat panels? So I am running ambient. ambient. Okay. I'm running ambient eighty eighty to eighty one degrees in my snake room and that's where it was at. Because mm-hmm. by then I'm holding steady. You know, right, by the time right. they lay eggs, I'm I'm back up to room temp, so I'm I'm holding mm-hmm. I'm holding that steady that steady temperature all year round. I just let her do her thing. I'm pretty sure I have her thermostat set to about 80 anyways because I don't like keeping mine very hot. Um, and like I was telling Tim, I'd rather it be slightly cooler in there and her have to work a little bit harder than have it too warm and then have her kind of bail, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, give her the, the room to be able to adjust it as she, she sees fit rather than just keep it Because too they'll warm. open and close their coils to adjust yeah, that heat. right. So, you know, if you're at that 80-degree mark... In her cage, mm-hmm. you'd probably be fine because she's got that big swing. Yeah, well, I think that's also kind of a happy medium because then she's not having to work super hard to up those temperatures. But you know, you don't have to worry about any large swings or or her having yeah, to work extra hard to keep them where they're supposed to be. Yeah, you don't want them getting too cool, but mm-hmm. but I'm very curious to see it? what the like what what the result of this clutch is compared to like artificial. Like that's something I'm, I'm always fascinated about. Anytime I hear with, guys that do, I noticed, MI, you know, do, I noticed did you notice with a M- difference in the babies and size? And yeah. I noticed, and... I noticed with MI, the babies are bigger mm-hmm. and they eat better. Hmm. They're like more aggressive than ones that you do in the incubator. I've noticed, I've really noticed that with carpets. Yeah. Um, that's just super fascinating to me because it's like that the thing that sort of drives me crazy as far as thinking about it is like what is she doing differently like the little micro adjustments that she picks up on and adjusts it's like we can't replicate those you know it's just no it's crazy no. to me um my female brettles my price line brettles is mi'd every clutch that she's, wow. that she's ever laid and have, you ever had a, have you ever had a female chondro abandon her clutch no, I've only done the one, so oh, okay. Um, I my strike brittles I've had 
lay the eggs, lay the perfect clutch of eggs, and just curl up next to them. Don't even get around <laughs> them. Yeah, I guess I'm taking those. Yeah. yeah. Come on. So some some of them just don't make some of them just not good moms. Yeah. Hmm. You and know, it, and I and I'm a firm believer on keeping keeping that stuff. You know, lean. Yeah. Especially your females. These guys are feeding them medium rats and crap. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, you how see often these chondros, and they're huge. How often do you feed your adults? Right now, I'm feeding my my adult chondros. I feed once their weight's back. Say so I've had a clutch or their weight's there. It's like whenever I feel like it, you know, three yeah. weeks, four weeks, you know, and then it's a, it's a decent-sized meal for the mm-hmm. females. Males are always small meals, um, three to four weeks. Um, if I'm coming off of breeding, or especially if a female's MI to clutch, it's every week. I'm, and you start them the out on something smaller and kind of gradually bring them back up to a normal, normal size no. food, or no? Okay. So my female Brettles is she's a tank. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she's six feet, six and a half, seven feet. She's big. I'll probably start her with a large rat instead of a jumbo rat. You know, but they take it just fine. I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, I start my baby, I start my baby, my baby brittles are eating fuzzies. I don't feed anything pinkies. Well, a lot of that stuff's so damn big out of the egg that you don't even really, you know, yeah, carpets so, and so stuff, they come like, out on fuzzies off the bat. Obviously, like, well, brittles, well, your carpet's like bigger meals anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to, you know, eat them better. Um, like some of the stuff you, you don't have a choice. So like your chondros are so tiny, they got to take a peek. Yeah. Um, you know, all the anatresia stuff mm-hmm. got to take a pinky cause they're just so tiny. Um, those Amazons that I produced this year, fuzzies, I've started them with fuzzies. Don't let that little skinny neck fool you. They just pound <laughs> those things right down. Like it was nothing. That's crazy, man. Yeah. They'll get a bigger meal than you think. No, but I mean, even still, like, I've just heard horror stories of guys having to tease feed parts, and, like, that's awesome that you just that's, get them. That's like, um, so the Kandoria stuff is a nightmare. Right. So I've produced the Wago Islands, which are the really tiny ones. Mm-hmm. I got a, I got a, a litter of those last year, lost them all. Oh, damn. Um, I got Solomon Islands. I've gotten two litters of those. I was the first guy in the United States to do it. To actually breed them mm-hmm. in captivity and produce babies, not just get a not grab come, a female, not come in and grab it. Right. Um, I had some of those going for a while. I was using Remto Links and I was showing them down their throats. But these guys, these these little things, they want to eat lizards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's what they want. So if I get some, if I get a gravid female this year, I'm just gonna probably start a morning gecko colony or something. I'm going to have to. I'm trying um, to get these Turkicus geckos off the ground. So, um, yeah. Hmm. So, and then Anatresia, I got I got some pygmies this year. Um, I got them the year before, but I, I kept the eggs too wet, and they all kicked off. But as well as you have them drier, you need to keep them a lot drier than, like, the normal stuff. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really surprise but, me hearing that. Just give it yeah, because you know they live in Western Australia, and it's right. pretty dry in Western Australia. I mean, we were there where they live. We never found any, but but we were there, mm-hmm. um, and it's pretty dry. 
so I got some this year and uh, I just didn't stay on top of them fast enough and I ended up losing them, but they're hard to get going too because they're the same thing. They want to eat little lizards or eat little skinks and, you know, little dragons and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're tiny. I mean, eggs the size of a peanut damn near. So See, I've never, yeah, small. I've never actually seen like a baby, like fresh out of the egg anthill. They're they can curl up on a on a on a on a nickel. Good God, they're that's like two, they're they're like two grams. Damn, that's they're crazy. Like to, they're yeah. like two to five grams. They're tiny. They're cool. So sounds like a baby squirrel. I've never seen them lock up either. I just put them together and put them in their tub. You ever try feeding them like uh, I don't want to say bugs for lack of better synonym, but like any kind of small arthropods or bugs or anything? I haven't. Um, I don't think they eat them. I think they're eating. They're eating little lizards, little geckos, because there's a ton of that stuff. Mm-hmm. There's so much of that little skinks. There's so much of that stuff running around over there. There was a night where we were we probably seen over 50 different species of geckos one night. It was insane. Wow. I mean. The, if you're a gecko guy, Western Australia is a place to go because there is and so many different kinds. Oh yeah, it's just insane. Because Phil's Phil's a big knobtail guy, but I mean, have you ever had the the urge to keep any of the Australian geckos? I would like to have some of the knobtails. Um, we found we didn't find any when I was there. Um, we went to a guy's house that had some. Um, I like the velvet geckos too. We got quite a few of those. Nice velvets are yeah. awesome. Yeah, big. These were big yeah. velvet geckos. Yeah, like um, Malagasy giant size. Yeah. 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 We found some big ones. They're like six, seven inches long. Yeah. Big awesome body. Animals. Um, um, found some western blue tongues when we were over there. Um, That's cool. back skinks. That stuff can run. Those things <laughs> can haul ass. <laughs> nice. They want to. Oh yeah, you don't think they can go that fast, but they boogie. So I mean, when you're out in the open like that, you gotta move fast or die. Yeah, I never you thought know? I'd ever seen a shingle back run that fast across <laughs> the road in my life. That thing was getting getting with it. I mean, did it look like did it look like a like a water snake on land, like flip flopping, <laughs> or did it like have like some did it have like some some trot to it? No, it had some trot to it. It was moving. Nice. I mean, you could tell it was a skink. I mean, you could tell it was a big shingleback. I mean, there's no doubt. It was like a, like a big old pop bottle running across the street. You know? <laughs> like a pine cone <laughs> with legs. Just yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was snake. about 12 inches long. You know, you knew exactly what it was. <laughs> That's super yeah. cool. Yeah. How super long cool. were you all over there, and, like, what parts did you did you go to? So the first trip was 2014, so we flew into Perth. Um, and we traveled all the way, we made it all the way up to 80 mile beach. So I think we were there for 10 days on the first one. Um, that's an awesome trek. Yeah. We covered like 3,300 miles on that trip. Yeah. That's a, that's an awesome, awesome trek. We covered some ground. Um, and then 2016, we went to the Cape or peninsula. So we flew into, uh, into Cairns. And then went all the way up, all the way to the tip of the Cape. Did you see any cool. green trees up there? Oh yeah, we found one. Found a wild Ooh. one. So Mitch, Mitch took us up there. Um, 
he knows that area really well. He lives down on the Gold Coast. And we met up in Cairns, and he took us up in there. We only found one. He was surprised. Um, we found that. We found an Iron Range um, scrub python. Nice. Which are super mellow. You just reach down and pick them up. Mm. Um, really cool looking. I would love to have some of those. Um, and then all kinds of different elapids. And we found a gelatin jungle on that trip down by Cairns, down there in gelatin area. Um, found a pygmy, a pygmy Simpsons python. Yes, there is a, a pygmy simi. Hmm. Um, blackhead. What else did we get? It's a hell of a trip, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's that's a trip. I feel like you have to have, like, you almost have to plan for an extra like day when you get there. Well, you lose a day going. Just to, I mean, just from the jet lag alone, because I feel like you you get there and you probably feel like you had your ass kicked just you can't Actually, even no going no. isn't bad it's coming on the the first time when i came back i was i was jet lagged for like a week mm. last time i was fine i came back and just because it wasn't bad because going to eastern you know the east east side of australia is not as bad it's only a 16 hour flight okay but going yep. to western australia was 27 hours mm-hmm. <clears throat> Because basically you got to go across the whole whole country, right. <laughs> and Australia is about the same size as as the United States. So, hmm. yeah, I just every so, time I hear Burke and them talk about, it, I'm like, man, I feel like that first day I'd just be a zombie. Just no, you're so jacked up when yeah. you first go that yeah. you know, yeah, excited and you know, anticipation and all of that. Yeah, I mean, my my theory is when I do go. Because the trip that I'm planning is a pretty intense trip with some friends I have over there and whatnot. And our goal is to basically, almost all the species we're, we're, we're looking for are nocturnal. So we're going to basically... Yeah, you're herping all night. Yeah, we're basically going to just be night owls the entire time we're there. Yeah, so basically, you know, what, basically what you do is, you know, you do your homework and during the day you're traveling, you're traveling from spot to spot. You're still herping during the day. You know, because you you know, there's a bunch of lizards and all kinds of other cool yeah. stuff out there too. But but at nights when all the pythons are out and you know and that kind of stuff, most of your lapids are out during the day. There's a lot of lapids out at night too. But like your king browns and you know inland taipans, all that stuff's out during the daytime. You don't always see them at night. Yeah. Occasionally you'll come across one, but all the other stuffs out at night. So the rule of thumb is, if you don't know what it is, you don't touch it. Period. Because <laughs> you have two kinds of snakes. You have an elapid <laughs> and you have and you have pythons, and yep. that's pretty much it. The, the... And you got the occasional legless lizard that gets you thinking. Well then they have all those other oddball species that are yeah, like still lapids, but yeah, and like the bandy bandies. We had a slaty gray like dude that we found we found next to the river while we were waiting for the we actually stayed the night right there next to the river because we had to wait for the for the barge to take us across and we found the shady gray we didn't know what it was but he was acting every bit like he was in a lap and he had us food because not one of us put our hands on it <laughs> not even the experienced australian guy <laughs> i remember yeah. there was an episode of crocodile hunter where he got bit by one of those but he 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 got bit by it he wasn't exactly sure what it was and he was in the car flipping through a field guide and that's what it ended that's up crazy being. yeah 
Yeah, like, I mentioned uh, about getting a picture of it, and he sent it to his buddy, and his buddy's like, "No, that's a that's a that's a shady gray. You you were good, but." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on Facebook and a bunch of Aussie herp groups and stuff, and like some of them are just snake identification groups from like a little town or whatever, and it's amazing how many people say, "Oh yeah, look at this lady gray," and like they have pictures of them holding it, and it's not, and it is dangerous, <laughs> and everyone's like, "That's not a lady. Don't do that ever again. You got lucky." Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's like the yeah, one place want... where I'm definitely. Because so many of that stuff looks so similar to. Well, it's a, it's yeah, like, they. Hell no, man. If it ain't a carpet yeah, or something obvious. Yeah. No, thank you. I ain't yeah, there's it. some tiny. There's like this one little lap that we found. Kenny Ginny National Park. There's a little banded thing. And this thing, all it does is eat gecko eggs. But it's one of the most venomous little things you've ever seen. It's about friggin' 10 inches long. And it'll kill you dead in a second. Jeez. And all it eats is, is gecko eggs. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to be that toxic to make sure they don't get away. I guess. You know, and Adam, that there's another friend of ours, he lives over there, and he's like, yeah, that's what that is. Because you don't want to touch it. <laughs> he's like, you know. But it's kind of nice if you have an Australia Australian friend that's over there because they can, you know, they know where all the stuff's at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can find stuff. I mean. Well, that's the other thing about the whole that whole trip is just like the planning. Like, how difficult is it to to get all your ducks in a row as far as like travel arrangements and then like where it's you're easy. staying? Is it? Yeah, it's not hard at all. You can rent every type of thing you could possibly think of. Um, you can do it on the cheap. The first trip to Australia cost me forty four hundred dollars. <throat> what? Yeah. For real? That's not staying in hotels every night. We stayed in a hotel three nights. The most expensive thing in that trip was the airfare. That was eighteen fifty. Wow. Um, last trip, thirty three hundred bucks, wow. including airfare. That was That's just me. Awesome. So you can do it on the cheap. I mean, we only we you know there was five of us. We rented a car. We all shared the gas, gas and car rental. Um, Mitch didn't have to pay for gas or car rental because he was showing us around. I made that. I said that right up front. I said Mitch doesn't have to pay for gas or car rental because he's showing us around. Mm-hmm. And the, us four, you know, paid for the rest of the stuff. You bought your food that you wanted, and we camped. And then we stayed in a hotel the last night when we left, and that was it. Yeah, I, maybe um, it's just because I, I haven't really done hardly any traveling because the Bahamas, I don't think, count. Um, no, it doesn't count. You know, no, it's count. just, to me, the whole sort of logistics of it is just kind of like, overwhelming i guess so i mean you can rent you can rent a truck and trailer you can rent a motorhome um you know and you can do it fairly cheap yeah you know i mean i was talking to elliot about our trip and you know the whole point was i have i have family in sydney so i was going to go to sydney a couple days early see them for like a day or two and kind of you know lose the jet lag whatever and then take a small plane from Sydney up to Townsville where Elliot is. And then mm-hmm. we were going to use his land, his land cruiser and just do the trip out West. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you, so you don't have car rental there. You just out and pay for fuel and yeah. And, food uh, and you go. So it'd be really cheap for you, you know, so get like, yourself a swag and away you go. That's it, man. <laughs> swag and a Billy. So, uh, 
we, I was looking at roadmaps and I'm like, all right, we can go to this spot and this spot. Cause he gave me a bunch of GPS coordinates for like some of the geckos and stuff. And, uh, and he's a snake guy too. So he's like, Oh, I want to go check this out. There'll be geckos there and snakes. So like we'll kill two birds with one stone. I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. How far away is that? Cause it's only, you know, four inches on the map. He's like, no, 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 no. That's a 10 hour drive. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, yeah. you know, it looks like it's two inches in the map, but it's really from like Rhode Island to Virginia or whatever. <laughs> so like from Cairns to the tip of the Cape, it's like fucking, it's like a thousand miles. Jeez. Yeah. Now on corrugated dirt road. Yeah. It's like Miami to Atlanta, you know? Yeah. It's nuts. Hmm. I don't know. We, I, well, I definitely want to go. I want to go out and, and hang out with Jake Hansen. Yeah. yeah, you guys, you guys will love it. The people are amazing. Um, everybody's super nice. Um, yeah, you absolutely love it. And we talked about that not that long ago on on Snakes and Stogies. I think is just the fact that like we have enough friends that we talk to on a regular basis, pretty much anywhere in the world. It seems where if you want to go somewhere, you got you got people that are like, yeah, man, you got a, you got a place to crash. And better yeah. yet, even if we don't have friends that live in the location they know people and they'll be like, Oh yeah, call Carl or Sally or whoever. And like, it's, it's, it's like herp code. Like we just look out for each other, you know? Yeah. That's like Nick was, or Mitch hit Nick up. Cause he has some brettles. So he was one of the first guys that have, um, stonewashed brettles in Australia. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. One had one that popped out. So he, him and Nick got to talking and that's how we ended up putting that trip together. You know, because awesome. we wanted to, wanted to go look for green trees, and Nick's, and he got to talking with Mitch, and Nick's like, yeah, we can just go up to the Cape York Peninsula Iron Range National Park, and we'll go up there and find some. We put a trip together, and there we were. Yeah, that was so so it ended cool. up being a lot of fun. You know, I went to the Great Barrier Reef one day, and sure went out on a charter and did that, and yeah, it was just amazing. Found that's all just, kinds of cool stuff. That's one of those trips, and I think Burke was talking about this recently, where, like, you can go so many times over and not and and see something new every time like there's just there's just the diversity as far as like ecosystems and places and species like oh yeah he's like there's the the trip would never really end there's just every year you have something new to, to sort of look forward to it's not like going to hawaii where it's like yep this is the same hawaii i was at last year yeah um, the thing doesn't is matter it's what like... island you go to it's still hawaii it's yeah. like the populations in those majors is in those major cities, you know, and then once you get out of them, there's like nothing. It's like you're out in the middle of nowhere, man. It's awesome. I mean, we were up in the Cape York Peninsula and there was like we were on this one beach up there, up there in Iron Range National Park, and I only saw three people the whole time we were there. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Because it's so remote. And what time of year were y'all going? Uh, first time Western Australia was Thanksgiving. We were gone for Thanksgiving. And then last time was the first, around the first of November. So we were actually a little late because that's, that's about when, um, the rain, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to get all the way up into the Cape because that's when the rainy season starts. Mm -hmm. And, but it was seasonally dry that year. It did. So it was like a week after we left, it started raining like crazy. So we wouldn't have been able to get up there because all the rivers would have been flooded. So you're essentially going in the end of spring. 
well, whatever they're, they don't really have a spring. They have a dry and a wet, basically. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. So, yeah. Whatever make, makes you find stuff. Yeah, you just do your homework. <laughs> I mean, like that first time we went to Western Australia, we wanted to find a pillowball olive python, and Ryan did a lot of, lot of research, and we happened to find one. Which nice. Is, which is super hard to do. Um, Simon and his brother Adam, they're both from Australia. Simon was here, here in the States, but there's a place called Python Pool of all places. And Adam, Adam and his buddy have been looking for one for like four or five years, never could find one. And we just, we just happened to find one that night. Was stretched across the front of the Python Pool going from one rock pile to the next. <laughs> just all stretched out right after dark. That's awesome. Yeah, placid, super easy going, all battle scarred up, and grabbing stuff, and and just super easy going. Put up with us taking pictures. We stuffed him in a bag and took more pictures the next day, and he never did once hiss or even even attempt to bite us. How big was he? he was about six, six, seven feet long. Nice, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. So that kind of stuff you'll never forget, you know. Definitely. I mean, oh, yeah. you think about so, Burke and them finding that Owen Pelly, you know, stuff like that. It's like that totally makes any trip worth it. I mean, no matter how many times yeah. you go, it's like you 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 know, there's something sort of magnetic about it, I guess. Yeah. Magical. Yeah. The word you're looking for is magical. Magically it's magnetic. Big, it's a it's an a big adventure. If you're an adventure site person, which you guys sound like you are, you'd you'd have a ball. I mean, Oh, I'm always the type of guy that wants to go out and see what's around the next corner. You know, I just want to keep going that extra. Let's go further. Let's go further. Let's keep going further. You yeah, know. my my only sort of reservation is just getting lost or something happening out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you like definitely um, twenty seven hours kind of shit. So you you want to be prepared. You want to be smart. Um, you know, like we were gonna go go to go up into the Kimberley and go look for roughies. And these guys, well, we just need one car. I said, no, we're taking two rigs. Yeah, that's hardcore terrain, rigs. man. That's hardcore. Because um, if one rig, something happens to one rig, you're stuck. I mm-hmm. mean, you got to have, you just, it's just, what, you know, you just got to be smart about it. Um, every time you get to a gas, every time you get at a roadhouse, you stop and you get fuel. Even if you have three quarters of a tank, you still get fuel. Yeah, top off. Mm-hmm. You see these guys out there running around. They got two spares. They got extra water on their rigs. Um, you know, they got extra jerry cans on the back. All the guys that live over there, everything's yeah. snorkeled up. You know, there's a reason for that. Yeah. Because that's, stuff's that's remote. Living. Yeah, stuff's remote, and you just you just gotta be prepared to get yourself out of a situation. I learned real quick that aside from your your hard maps, whether it be roadmaps or topographical or whatever, when you're looking at GPS stuff, like I was looking at all different GPS equipment, which I still haven't purchased because I haven't made a final decision yet. But not only do you have to figure out what satellites are actually going to cover your area, but you have certain GPS that don't work internationally or don't work in certain territories or whatever. So like the stuff that I was looking at, Oh, everything in the fine print was North America, North America, North America. And finally, I found there's only like four or five that we can buy here that will work perfectly over there. Yeah. So people seem to, you know, they they overlook that shit. 
Yeah, you want to look and find one that's compatible with. I mean, all that stuff. I mean, the stuff here is working off the same satellites that it's working over there. I mean, because the satellites are in the same spot, the Earth is just spinning. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you know, sometimes the frequencies or something like that's different. You know, they're a different location. You know, sometimes so so you got to make sure you have one that that adjusts to all those different the different numbers for a different place. Yeah, like some of the some of the programs I was looking at where you would you know use on a real computer and then it would translate to the GPS unit. Some of them, like your favorites, wouldn't translate over once you left the continent. Like if I saved it in the U.S. and then I flew to Australia and I you know turned the device on you know in country, it would it would just not show it because it just didn't translate over for whatever reason. That's weird. Yeah. You think I mean, it I, would. This, was, this was maybe a year ago that I started like you know shopping so to speak. So I'm sure maybe things have evolved since then. But yeah, yeah, that stuff's changing on a daily basis pretty much anymore. Because <clears throat> I know I was going. I took my GPS the first time we went, and I didn't have the map. I I had needed to download the map stuff mm-hmm. for Australia. You know, I was thinking, oh, I'll just automatically do it. Well, it doesn't. You have to you know, download the software for Australia because it's totally different than it is here, like you were saying. I wonder if it's like a cell phone thing because I've heard that if you, like the cell phones over here don't work over in like Europe because it's a different sort of, uh, not really like a different frequency. It's Well, they have different kinds of... They have different carriers. Yeah. Um, They'll work to a point. I mean, we were text messaging and all that kind of stuff. There's just it's not a different frequency. I'm just trying to think. There's like a certain the servers, the, yeah. the service is all different. So yeah. you know they have all different. I mean, it can work if if you have like a um, international plan, mm-hmm. then I think it'll work. But other than that, you know, because their 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 providers are all different over there than they are here. Yeah, I was also looking at different sat phones too, and like some of the sat phones. I've basically figured out that at the time when I first started looking, it was cheaper for me to rent a phone and just buy the minute cards than it was to buy a device that had like, you know, one year free or whatever. Yeah. And then now it's at the point where there's so many different sat phones that are actually of quality that people keep trading them in and upgrading them. So you can get like what used to be a $3,000 sat phone. You can buy it barely used for like 600 bucks. Yeah, that stuff's so, got I'm, a lot more affordable yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Technology's so gotten that's, better. That's probably what I'm going to do is I'm probably going to buy a refurb or, like, a used phone and then just have, like, you know, 100 minutes of phone cards. So, God forbid something, you know, you need to make that last phone call, you know. <laughs> Justin's yeah. halfway down a salty's throat and I got to call Katie. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because we were, you know, we were down, we were, um, we were going down, uh, Tully Gorge, right? Our little rental car. We already fucking blew our spare. Already blew a tire, so we were on our spare. Going down this skinny little freaking. We're in the Subaru Outback, right? Ten on top. Five guys piled into this thing. We're going down this little Tully Gorge, little tiny road, scraping paint on both sides from the trees and stuff, you know. And we get a flat in the middle of this fucking road, out in the middle of nowhere, so our spare's flat now. So. We get it turned around and get back up to the main road. And uh, Mitch had to call his girlfriend, which is in the Gulf Coast, to call a guy, because we couldn't get a hold of nobody where we were, to call a guy to come and 
fix her flap. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was freaking, it was crazy, dude. It was, <laughs> we were up all night. And then we went to the, went friggin', uh, went out to the Great Barrier Reef and went snorkeling all day. And then we were flying out that night. <laughs> it was crazy. At least you sleep on the plane, right? Yeah. Yeah. I Actually, we were. haven't been on a plane in so long. Yeah, I haven't been on a plane since 2016 is the last time I've been on a plane. So. I uh, I was on a plane back in January and uh, pre-COVID, and you guys aren't missing anything. It's exactly the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, man, man was not meant to be in a tin can that high. Up in the up in the air, screaming well, across I mean, the sky at three hundred miles an hour. You can always you can always charter a boat from L.A. and you know they'll take you six months to get there. I mean, I don't think anybody likes flying. I think that's just what you got to do to get to get anywhere. You know. Yeah. If you want to go places far, that's just what you have to do. I mean, unless you want to get on a ship and spend three months at sea to get there. Do it yeah, old right? school, man, like the Pilgrims uh-huh. did. I got a an acquaintance who uh, he's a big touring motorcycle guy, and he's gone from Miami all the way up to the farthest point you can go in Alaska. And uh, you know he rides with a bunch of guys, and they all have their touring motorcycles and stuff. And his his lifelong dream was to basically drive out to L.A. and then from L.A. all the way down to the tip of South America, like as far as he could go. And uh, yeah, he, sa- he saved up and he did it. And on the way back in like Panama or somewhere, like a halfway point, he gets in a horrible accident and was there for six months in the hospital. Oh shit. Yeah. But he didn't have to fly. <laughs> yeah, we have a we had a guy here that went from Alaska all the way to South America as far down as he could go. Did the same thing on his on his motorcycle. Nice. Yeah. I won't lie, man. I, I wasn't even thinking about the whole RV in Australia. That's actually a brilliant idea. Yeah, so you can rent trucks and trailers, and um, you just drive on the wrong side of the road. It's different, you know. In town, it's a little stressful, you know, because kind of... I see that being a big struggle for me. Yeah. <laughs> you will almost <laughs> get in an accident, or you will get in an accident. <laughs> Well, my family. There will always, always be that. There will always be that close call. Everybody has it. Yeah, um, I was gonna say my, my family friend from Sydney. When he comes once a year to to hang out for a month, it takes him about three or four days to get adjusted to the the right side of the road. <laughs> yeah, the the thing the thing that it, that made it easier for me when I was driving the last trip I didn't drive at all. Um, Mitch drove the whole time. <clears throat> was. The white line's always on the steering wheel side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, as long as you keep thinking that the white line's on your side, you know, you're good. Yeah. I just told totally myself just if muscle. the middle lane if the middle line's on your side, you're good. If if it's not, you're on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> I could just see my muscle memory being like, Yeah, we're on the right side of the road and then realizing yeah. traffic's yeah. coming towards me and I'm like, What the hell? No, left side. Left yeah. side, Justin. Left side. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's pretty good. So anyway, that was Australia. So definitely you guys definitely gotta do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got I tell that everybody in Texas. Go once. Yeah, West Texas huh? is on, West Texas is at the top of the list for me. 
Yeah, we're. I'm thinking about that too. We were talking about doing that one of those. So, so before we segue from Australia to Texas, I gotta ask: Do you still have those uh, Northern Territory Fuscus? I do not. Damn. <laughs> but I know who does. Ah. Nick's got it. They were actually. They were actually Nick's. Um, ah, okay. He's, he's got all three. So. Um, I have Queensland ones. So if there's anybody out there that has a lone male Queensland, I need one. Really? Yeah. Okay. I've got a nice fat, sassy female sitting here, and I don't have nothing to put to it. I had a male that that Nick produced from this female I have on a breeding loan in my rack. One of my baby racks overheated and killed him. I lost a bunch Damn. of stuff. So Nick produced your Queensland waters? No, that one came from Eric Kohler, that female. Okay. Um, but the male that I had came from, he produced from the female that I have. So uh, I believe Sonia, I believe Sonia's got the Northern Territory at once too. Okay. I know she's I've got, got a, I know I she's got, a, got the Queensland and I know she's got the New Guinea ones. And Nick yeah. said the New Guinea ones are the same as the Queensland ones. Okay. So, How do the Northern Territory ones compare to the others, though? Bigger and browner okay. and nastier. <laughs> but the ones I had were fine. But I kind of got a thing with handling stuff. I'm really good at it. And people go, go get Mark. He'll get it out. And I seem to be able to get <laughs> stuff out without getting bit where other people go in and try to get stuff and then get hammered right away. <laughs> So yeah. I'm really calm. I'm really calm and collective, and I know how to handle stuff. I I can read the snake, you know. And all right, you're looking shady. I know what you're gonna do, you know. <laughs> so they're like, "How do you do that?" I said, "Well, you just pay attention to what he's telling you." Right, you know? right. He's telling Body you he's not. Yeah, he's telling you if you ain't happy about it, or I'll just reach in and grab shit. And by the time they realize what happened, they're like, like with my Amazons, I just reach in and grab them. And by the time they realize what, oh, okay, whatever, nothing's gonna happen. You know, I, I see guys it. with babies and they're trying to hook them, take a snake hook and hook them out. I said, just grab that little thing. It hurts you. you know? <laughs> I got my, my first legitimate chondro bite last night. Like I've had a few where they got me like a one tooth or something, like a small one where I move my hand out of the way just in Probably time. An adult. He's about three years old. He's an adult. And uh, he got me on like the... Right where my pinky meets my palm, he was he was hanging out under the puppy pad, and I lifted the puppy pad, thinking he was not awake or you know whatever. And nighttime, yeah, but the lights were still on, and uh, wow. you know before I could even lift it up to see him, he just he whacked me. And it yeah, surprised me. So that, was a, that was food response. Yep. Um, my worst bite was a baby emerald. Ooh. Um. Had him in my left hand by the mm. head with my thumb. I was trying to get a piece of sh- stuck shit off his head. And he kept twisting and twisting and got turned around and got free enough to where he sunk his freaking teeth right in the top of my knuckle on my thumb. Oh. Damn. Um, dropped me to my knees. Really? That was the most painful bite I've ever had in my life. And they don't Did. just bite. They, they gnaw. So they, they, they bite... 
and squeeze and then they release a little bit and then they bite and squeeze again and then they release and then they bite and squeeze they just sit there and chew on your ass and it hurts now, i wouldn't want to get i can't imagine what adults would be like yeah dude no thank you did you get any like uh any kind of gum infection or teeth infection on the snake or no no okay because, man, I've heard horror stories of, like, you know, handlers getting bit on accident, you know, feed response, whatever. And all is fine with the human, but then the snake, you know, gets one infected tooth, and now it's got some mouth rot issues, and it kind of just goes downhill from there. Yeah, I've never had any of those problems um, with getting bit by stuff. Yeah. I'm more worried about that happening with my chondras when they, you know, grab and wrap the freaking tongs and completely miss the mouse. Yeah, I don't. I'm always pulling tongs out of mouths. They got half the rat and three quarters of the tongs, and you can drag it out of there somehow. I just grab and pull it fast. Well, I these the the ones in particular that I have the biggest problem with are the rubber tip ones. Yeah, I don't use them. Yeah, I, I now realize up. just how much of a like they're great and all until they're wrapped because you ain't getting them out. They're not. Yeah, and a lot of times they get their tooth stuck in one in that rubber. Mm-hmm. And they're going to break that tooth off to get it out unless you just wait until they let go. Right. You know, so I don't use rubber, rubber-ended stuff, you know, well, just for that reason. Fortunately, it's a small pair. I, I bought them just because I had to get my Reptile Basics order over $100. And so I was like, okay, five bucks. Yeah. So they're there. but I mean, it might be all right for, for like, baby-type stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah, they're, they're not my favorite, though. I've quickly realized i think it was in within like the first or second feeding of using them one of my uh my chondro from david brahms grabbed it and wrapped it and would not let go and i was not about so you to just leave the top a lot of times i'll just if they do if they get it so good that i can't slide it out easily i just leave it yeah and that's what i ended up doing i couldn't close the tub because of the way it was all positioned so i just let them sit there and like, yeah a lot of times some some of my stuff's, you know, in smaller tubs than it should be, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feed them like a large rat or something, and the tub's not tall enough, so they get it all wrapped up, and I can't close the tub, so I yeah. just got to leave it open. <laughs> I mean, that is the nice so, thing about chondros. You don't have to worry about them going anywhere. Yeah, most of the other stuff doesn't go anywhere either. You mm-hmm. just, like my olives or something will wander off, so you got to kind of, some of the carpets will try to wander off. But normally once they let go and relax, I can shut the tub. Um, but yeah. So you have, you, you, you've done stuff with emeralds. You have Amazon. Oh, I have never, pre- I never breeding. I've only had some babies. Um, it's something I'm going to start getting back into. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to get another pair. Um, all this stuff has just gone through the roof. Um, I just recently got, um, Madagascar tree boa. I oh. got a Western. So I picked one up for about twelve hundred bucks. So, and it's a cool. female too. So I'm pretty stoked about that because I've been wanting those for forever. So, so I got some feelers out there for some more. But yeah, it's crazy really to see any. stuff sort of just come and go. I remember, you know, when I was a kid, like those were not difficult to find. Just Sanzinia in general. Yeah. And now it's you know you see sort of just the phases and the rise and falls of different things and. It's crazy because I just like I said I remember like they used to really be fairly common in most classifieds and stuff they weren't difficult to come across and now it's you know 
Maybe it's well, a now social the media stuff, thing, but now the stuff is bought up before you know, as soon as somebody finds out there's a litter or something, you know, everything's already prepaid for, you know, it gone hold and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you don't even get a chance to see it. It's all about who you know at that point. Yeah, and I'm starting to, you know, I know quite a few guys now that have this stuff. And so just got some feelers out there now. Yeah, I mean, when I was shopping for tannin bars, when I like made the decision I wanted them, I hit up like four or five different guys that, you know, claimed they had them. And every single one of them was, oh, no, we're going to hold them all back. Or, oh, no, they're all spoken for. No, we're going to give it a year and evaluate, you know. Yeah, it's like I produced those Juaminas this year and did my phone. I, you know, posted them up on my – because nobody even knew I had it. There's only like three guys that knew that I had eggs. You know, I didn't tell anybody. The only ones that knew was Ryan and Nick. That was it. And my friend Rand, and you guys know Randy Pentagon and mm-hmm. and, and Randy. Those are the only guys that knew mm-hmm. until I posted them up and my phone just blew up. <laughs> I mean, are you taking orders? Are you selling any? I'm like, dude, I'm not selling a single thing. I got to get this stuff eaten first. Yeah, what's you your, know, what's I, your, I don't even know what's going to happen. What's your policy on like waiting lists and stuff? I don't do them. Okay, me neither. I don't do just them. Just first come, first serve. Yeah, and there's 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 some guys that are gonna get some because they're close friends, and you know Jeffrey's gonna get one. Randy wants one. Another guy wants one. Mm-hmm. But um, and me and Nick and Ryan have all traded because all of our Waminas aren't related to one another. Yeah. Nice. So we want to try to keep that gene pool as big as possible. Definitely. So I got a wild caught. I traded. I'm gonna trade one of my F twos to Ryan. I have a wild caught female that he already sent over that Nick brought, and then Nick brought me a male, and I traded him a male from his clutch, so we can try to keep this stuff. So my sex ratio on that was was five point one. Wow. Yeah, it sucked. I mean, it was I, actually I like it was being... actually five point two, but the the very first one that pipped never came out of the egg. It pipped and slit the egg, had its head hanging out of the egg for a couple of days, crawled back into the egg and died. And it was I checked the sex and it was a girl, of course, because mm. <clears throat> I don't pip my eggs until somebody pips. Yeah. So that's just my rule. A lot of guys will pip on day whatever, but and you you left them you left them in the egg specifically to kind of just let them do their own thing. Like that one that one female that passed, had you cut her open and removed her? Do you think she? Would no, she was the first. Not? She was the first one to slice open. Oh man. Yeah, I don't know why. So she slid it, and I seen that there was a slit there. You know, it's a pretty good slit. It was probably about you know half inch long. Right, and then I went in and I cut them. I'll, I'll cut them more. I opened it up, you know. I'll cut a V into them, you know, so they can just push the flat back if they want to mm-hmm. come out. And and so um, I don't cut a really big hole like some of these ball python guys cut them way open because they want to see what's in there, you know. Yeah, I just I just cut like a small V, you know, so they can slide out easily. But with the when you cut it with the V, it lets that flap lay back down, so. They can still get air in there, but the flaps down there, they feel like they're still kind of protected. When they're ready to come out, they'll come out. Right, right. 
And how long do you usually wait before you cut the rest after one's pipped? You wait like 24 hours? As soon as one pips, I'm cutting them all. Okay. So I know a lot of chondro guys, they'll like pip them and then, you know, within the next 24 hours, if none of the other ones have pipped, they'll go ahead and cut them. But to me, yeah, I don't normally, know. As soon as, the first, as soon as the first one pips, I cut normally. Because I lost, I lost four um, olive eggs this year because I didn't catch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see one finally cut and got through because sometimes those olive eggs are pretty thick by the time you, you know those things are the size of your fist are huge and four of them um you could see where they were slicing on it but they right. like they broke their egg tooth off or mm-hmm. something and i didn't catch it soon enough and i lost four they just overheated and died they suffocated and died basically mm-hmm. they were full term in there yeah, because the whole, um, like, waiting 24 hours thing seems kind of odd to me. Like, No, nah, as soon as somebody pips, yeah. I'm, I'm cutting. It's like, I don't really so, want to wait and give it the opportunity to to basically drown. And I do that with my maternally incubated clutches, too. Do you? Yeah, because sometimes, you know, those clutches are all... I always, you know, always want to cut because sometimes, you know, eggs are stacked on top of each other. Mm-hmm. So a lot of time I've had babies where they've had to go like through two or three eggs just to get out. Like buried the, in the because the egg is buried. Yeah. <laughs> buried in the rubble. Yeah, so you know they might not, they won't make it. You know sometimes. Mm-hmm. As my first clutch was seventeen eggs, I think I ended up after everything was said and done with twelve babies. I think that survived, and a lot of them were like completely developed full term. But for whatever reason, just never, never made it out. So what, um, what species? What was it? Chondros. Chondros. Yeah, I've had chondros come out, pit, come out, crawl out about three or four inches, and die. I had a couple wow. that had that umbilical cord, like nodding around the midsection problem too. On a couple. Yeah. Of them, so. so I, I even talked to you know because Ryan's, you know he's. He's hatched a lot of chondros, and I said, "What's the deal with that?" He goes, "That he goes, it just happens." He goes, "I don't know what it is. I mean, you pull them out, and they're full term, look great." Mm-hmm. He says, "They just, just a weak baby or something, you know." And he's like, "That's why they have more than one egg." Yeah, that's yeah. why they Not have freaking ten. You know, it's it's for the you know some of them just aren't gonna make it, and then you get babies that are just dead enders; they're never gonna eat. No matter how many times you force feed them, they're just never going to get with it. They just, you know. Yeah. It's, I think Nick's got some that he's still force feeding their year-old. Jeez. <laughs> and yeah, they still wow. haven't started. A couple <laughs> inlands, crazy. yeah. Yeah, he's got a couple inlands that are just raising hell with them. So I have a that striped female... Um, Darwin carpet I had here, the Bushmaster female I have here. She, I force fed her for a year before she finally got with the program. And one day it just like kicked off and she was off to the races and it never stopped since. So it's, you know, you just, it's just some of the stuff you deal with with being a breeder. I mean, you see all kinds of weird stuff. You, see, you know, seeing large hearts, cancer. I've had mm-hmm. one have a stroke in my hands before. Amazon just stroke out right in my hand, just go completely limp, and then come back to and just shaking like he just had a stroke. Die a couple days later. Wow. Um, had tons of carpets with with cancer. 
I get big hematomas and stuff. Um, and sometimes stuff just dies for no reason. I mean, obviously yeah. there's a reason, but you know, they have all the same problems we have pretty much. Mm-hmm. Now, with the ones like with the cancerous uh, ones, do you notice a trend at all as far as like is it an age thing? Like, do they all seem to be developing those? No, nah, my time? um, is it completely random? my Wamina, my Wamina scrub females getting ready to shit the bed. Oh, something. She got a couple. All of her teeth fell out in her head. She didn't have a single tooth in there. She's still what? eating. But then um, a couple weeks ago, I noticed a bump on her back, like a mass. I started pushing on it, pushing it around and stuff. And then, um, you know, Jeff Jeff, and Kayla came over, and I kind of noticed some littler ones. I was like, what the hell's going on here? And they kind of, I don't know. Then they were just here, you know, last weekend because Nick got a couple dumb rolls from them. Mm-hmm. And, then, and it just exploded. So at least I got one clutch out of her, but That's I don't sweet. know. She's still she's still kicking, so we'll see what happens. But something's going on. I mean, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you try it's, probably, and, uh, it's probably not going to end well. So have you tried to uh, not just be like you know coarse or rude or anything, but like have you tried to like poke with a needle or lance it or anything? Yeah, I lanced one of them and all it. It was just a solid mass. There was oh, I, okay. all I got was a little bit of blood. I didn't get no goo or nothing like that. Oh, I thought maybe it was just maybe some food built up or something, but I didn't yeah. really get anything like that. Yeah, I had a big false water cobra that was 17 years old, one of my bigger females, and uh, she had a massive tumor that came. It, it grew massive, like like baseball size, maybe even softball size over the course of like two months. And I figured, man, you know, she's out of warranty. She's 17 years old. You know, just she's still eating. She's still pooping. She's still happy. I'll leave her be. And uh I never thought to lance it or poke it with a needle or anything. And she passed. And when I necropsied her, it was just a cyst. It was just a big liquidy cyst that probably could have been probably just, it just easily, uh, you know, fixed. It, it was pressing on the wrong stuff, you know? Yeah. It probably just poisoned her to death, you know? Yeah. Sepsis or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And if you take it to the vet, they're going to charge you a bunch of money and yeah. Yeah. And they're not I mean, going to know what it is. Of course, hindsight, you know, had I just lanced it with a needle, you know, a, a small gauge needle and just seen, you know, some of the liquid pus come out, I would have, my mind would have been put at ease. I would have drained it and all would have yeah. been well, you yeah. know. I'm pretty good about doing that stuff. I'll start feeling around and checking shit out. Yeah. You know, we live and learn. That's funny because I had her sister. I had another one, that, you know, from, from Andrew because that's who I got those, Andrew from Nerd. See those came from. He produced them, mm-hmm. and his sister died. Just died one day. I only had her for like, I think like three weeks, and went in there one day to find, you know, it was clean day. Went in there, pulled the tub open, she's dead. And I called him up and said, "Hey, this scrub just, you know, died." I was like, "What?" It was kind of odd, you know. Maybe it was something to do with that, with that breeding or something. I don't know. Yeah, who knows, man? You know, it might not even be even anything related. So, well, yeah. what's what's so your I don't know. what's your take on all the Nido stuff? I don't know. I think everybody has it. I wouldn't be surprised if I have it in my collection. <laughs> I mean, so just as someone who's well, sort of been in the hobby for a long time, I mean, you, we've all had snakes that have just I sort mean, of randomly killed over, and we've always kind of just written it off. And so now, you know, I think a lot of it. A lot of people think it's gone now. But I don't think so. Yeah. I think this stuff's still around. I mean, 
I think if, if, if everybody probably tested, they'd probably freak out. Say, holy shit. It's everywhere. You know? Yeah, I think it also, we have some friends that have, you know, worked with it a lot. And I think it also comes down to, if the, it's almost like parasites, okay? You get a wild-caught animal that's got parasites. The first thing you do is you dose it, right? Well, I've found that a lot of the wild-caught stuff that I've messed with, where I dosed it right off the bat, it crashed. Yeah. Because either the parasite was, yeah, the symbi- it was a symbiotic relationship to some extent, or for whatever reason, the animal lost nutrients in the dewormer or whatever. But then you look at some of these other ones where it didn't have a parasite. It may have had the virus, but because of a traumatic incident, whether it be a new environment or a temperature flux or something, it caused it to to agitate, you know? And like, I, I imagine that a lot of us probably have it. And because we keep the animals proper, there's no issue. But the minute it gets some kind of minor RI, it, in theory, could turn on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't had anything really. I just had, like, the normal RI, RI stuff, and everything seemed to kick it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I have it. I'm not going to say I do, and I'm not going to say I don't, you know, because I really don't know. Yeah. You know, but it I'm- seems like the only thing that it really affects is, like, you know, your Morella stuff. Mm-hmm. Just you know, always curious what people's understand. opinions are on it. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I had a female Walmart. She would have been last year. She was breedable size. And uh, she just got this RI that would not go away. So I finally just took her to the vet because I couldn't stand. I go, I need to know what this is because I was thinking maybe it was Nairo, right? Mm-hmm. And she just had some off the wall, weird friggin' lung infection thing. It never yeah. did go away. I finally just ended up putting her down because it's like, you know. Clearly nothing's helping her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we tried to pay a trail. We tried every, you know, we tried everything. Yeah. And I was like, this is, this thing is not going to go away. And I'm tired of, you know, watching this snake suffer, you know, mm-hmm. watching her just decline. But she finally got to the point where she wouldn't eat no more because her, because her, because her, Mouth was, you know, all sore and stuff, and trying to breathe and everything else, and yeah. and her mouth was always wet and nasty and and stuff because she's hacking up stuff. But I just finally, you know, just put her in a bucket and CO2 to that CO, you know, use CO2 mm-hmm. to put her down. You know, it was, just, it was something I hated to do, but at some point you got to make that call. Right. Yeah. It's the it's yeah. the tough part of the hobby, man. Yeah. So. I mean, you have enough stuff, it's it's going to happen, so. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I had people, Jeff and Kendra have left us a voicemail with a question. All right, let's see what it is. Let's see. I probably already answered it, but. <laughs> let's see if it'll play. Play. Why won't it? Is it because I'm on a call? I don't know. There's a translate, though, because this, I guess, just isn't going to let us listen to it. Uh, But it says, our question is from Jeff and Kendra at Puget Sound Pythons, who are also the sponsors of Snakes and Stogies. PSP. Which you should check out Mondays live, 9 Eastern Central. Uh, our question is, what are some things that you've noticed since you've been in a 
hobby that has changed. I want to hear your thoughts. And we're... It's the Google Translate kind of sucks, so this might be confusing. Um, what are some things that you've noticed since you've been in the hobby uh, that have changed? I want to hear your thoughts, and we'd like your personal experiences. This can include the good, the bad, or the ugly. Anyway, we can't wait to hear this week's episode. Take care. That have changed the internet. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the hobby are into the morphs mm -hmm. and not, you know, are into the colors of the morphs. And that's one of the things I don't really like about a lot of the morph designer people. Mm -hmm. I probably shouldn't say this, but they're into the morph and not into the animal for what the animal yep. is. Yeah, I'd agree yep. with that. And that's one of the things I've really noticed that has changed probably in the last 10 years is where, you know, when I got into this stuff, when I was, you know, growing up and getting into this stuff, it was all about what it was, what the animal is and how it reacts and, you know, what's it, its natural colors and habits and stuff like that are. And nobody's really about that anymore. And I think that's kind of a shame. Yeah, I agree. You know, how many people do you know have a normal ball python? Mm. Yeah, nobody. I no mean, there's plenty of people on Craigslist trying to give them away. Right. And would yeah, you go so far I, as to say that it's a monetary value thing? Absolutely. It'd and be, that's another does, thing that really drove. I think. Even if and it, that's another thing I don't. That's another thing I don't like is that the morph market. Everybody, get, a lot of people get into it for the wrong reason. They were getting into it to make money and not because they're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, they're not passionate about the animals, you know, about what they do, you know, what kind of behaviors they have. They're just in it for, for the money aspect of it. Right. And I think that's sad. Yeah. I mean, I will say even in the, just the last couple of years, like within the last less than 10, it seems like. I don't see nearly as many arguments about the purist versus the more folks as I used to, but I'm also not in as many groups as I used to be, so I'm not really seeing it or being exposed to it. Yeah, that's why you don't see me posting up a lot of stuff, because I'll get in a lot of arguments with people <laughs> saying, well, you're wrong on this, this, and this, and this, and this is why, and they just don't, they don't want to listen. They think you're an idiot. It's like, you know what, I've been keeping this stuff for a lot longer than you, and you don't even have any idea what you're talking about. You're only 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help you, and you don't want to listen, so there you go. But, I mean, for me and so, Phil, I mean, that's one of the appeals of Brettles is the fact that there really aren't a ton of morphs, and that naturally just your normals, you know, I like the really high black Brettles, you know, that kind of stuff just as is. Like, they're gorgeous snakes. They're the complete package. Yeah, they're gorgeous by themselves. I mean, my price lines are just friggin' beautiful and they're just straight up normal price line mm -hmm. really deep beautiful red black nice dark tails just gorgeous and i the, flip, and I mean, the even, flip side to even, that is just the fact that maybe they're not more popular because there's not a bunch of morphs to work with and play with and that's what yeah. i think you know brettles i think that's why brettles and inlands aren't that popular because they're not real flashy mm-hmm but people are are totally missing out because the stuff that they do. I mean, I've watched them. My females were carolure with their tails like a green tree, and they'll hang from a stick and wait for something. Like I got pictures of them 
hanging out of their hide box. There's a picture on my Facebook page of a poor Douglas Coastal hanging out of the hide box, hanging there just like a chondro waiting for something to come mm-hmm. running by to grab it and rip it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's cool stuff. Yeah, I think it also comes, going back to brittles, I think it also comes down to the fact that there really isn't a lot of quote-unquote brittles, morphs. I mean, like, even Stonewash, like, Stonewash is awesome, but I think Stonewash is even more awesome because it looks like it is just a naturally occurring... Yeah, it kind of plays off. Yeah, just the next next blown apart, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the morphs you got in brittles, so you got Stonewash, you got Hypos. Um, We have the Hypo Stripes now, which I guess we could add to that. And stripes, and that's it. Yeah, but even still, like your your hypo. Okay, hypo is hypo, but your stripes too. I mean, yes, we consider it a morph, but it's not like it's not like it's piebald. It's not like it's you know bumblebee no. or cinnamon no. or whatever this other crap is. It's it's no. still normal. It's just has stripes. Yeah, it's just a genetic stripe versus a banded animal. Right, and they tend to be darker. Yeah, there's nothing sexier to me than like a super dark brettles with a lot of black. Super yeah. I love yeah. dark brettles. The darker the better. Yeah. And that is one thing that's awesome amongst like at least I can speak for Justin and I's friends, the, the personal friends is that you know, I'm not a chondro guy at all. I'm a carpet guy, but Justin's a chondro guy, but we both have brettles because they're awesome. <laughs> that's my favorite species. So yeah. Out of all carpets, Brettles is my favorite just because of what they are. I mean, if someone yeah. asked me what my opinion is for the best like first snake, I think a male Brettles is a great option if you're willing to have something that gets a little bigger than, you know, obviously your your corns and balls. Right. Well, male Brettles will get huge. Right. They're the bigger. They're, they get bigger than females if you let them, but all mine are small because I don't let them get any bigger than they need to be. Mm-hmm. But my, so, I mean, my adult male, he's completely manageable. He's nothing out of the realm yeah, of possibilities my, for anybody, you know. Yeah. What's nice about a Brettles is you can grab a Brettles and just hand it to any little kid there is. I'll take my big seven-foot female and hand it to any little kid without hesitation. I remember the first time I ever, you know, actually handled one. I was doing some educational talk, helping out a buddy of the Georgia Herp Society. And he brought his female, and he handed her to me, and I was like, this is the coolest snake ever. Yeah. It was just like, I was like, I gotta, I, I gotta get some. I know I, uh, I sold one to a guy back in Illinois here a few weeks ago, one seventeens I have for sale. And so it's, it's, you know, not huge, but it's yearly, you know, a little bit bigger than yearling size. Mm-hmm. And he, he sent me a picture of his little, of his, his like his three year old daughter holding it. He goes, I can't believe how nice it is. I said, I texted him back. I said, Yeah, they're all that way. Well, then there's Justin's five percent that we always talk about. The five percenters. The five percenters. So like my female is not only runty, but she's also a five percenter. Those are <laughs> a the psych- snappy. Those are the psychotic. Oh, yeah. yeah, the the anti. Yeah, I noticed these hypo head stripes that I produced back. In- in the 19s I have here, they're a little bit snappier than normal. They have I was really surprised. Gene. But you know what that means? It means they're going to eat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's one thing. Silver lining. The garbage disposal units, man. Yeah. And they'll grow out of it. They always do. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Jake had one for a while that was really bad. Like the worst. That's that's I've pretty. With, so that's really rare. Yeah. I mean, I've produced. <laughs> I've probably produced three, four hundred of them, and this is the first first one I've ever had. So. Hmm. Well, you know, that's it's pretty. That's pretty rare. But I was talking to Casey Cannon too. He said he got some last year that were that were pretty. They were hypo something. He said they were pretty, a pretty hot little guys too. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's pretty rare that that happens with them. It's because they know they're special. Yeah, the Inlands <laughs> are even more docile if you can believe that. The which one? Yeah, I'm. Uh, they're real timid. Inlands. Oh, I'm. A, yeah. I'm on the fence. I, I have a local gentleman who has offered me. Uh, baby inlands, and it's what? like, yeah, and I didn't tell you or Billy because I didn't want to, because because you're gonna be mad, and then Billy's gonna be like, just do it, just do it, just what? Why are you? Why are you still talking? Go. Why are you? So what? What? What line are they? I have no idea, and to be honest, I think it's one of those scenarios where he got them from somebody who didn't want people to know. You know what I mean? That kind of thing, and it's yeah. it's that it's that old thing of oh, I want to remain anonymous, like that that old crap. So yeah, so, I'll, fi- I'll find out through the grapevine who made them, but uh, I'm 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 right there, like ready to pull the trigger, and I'm like, nah, I don't know. My advice is get them from somebody you know, and that has good lineage behind them. Yeah, he's got pictures of the parents, and the parents are the the blue that we want. You know what I mean? Like that that what you'd expect that that blue gray, what you'd expect. Yeah, so they're either they're either gonna be. Mog line, are they going to be Schofields? Um, it seems like the Mog line ones breed a little better than the Schofield ones. Hmm. If they're Schofield Mug line, they seem not. They seem to do all right if you breed Schofield to Mug line. But it seems like Schofield to Schofield, it seems like they're a little bit. The females don't want to ovulate or very good breeders for some reason. A little wonky. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. I don't know if the Schofield stuff is more inbred, more right. You know, than the mug stuff. Yeah. I don't know. They're at the top of my list, though. Out of everything, but I like, bred those in Subox are just right there at the top. Yeah, the last, the last clutch I did because I lost my mug male, which was smoking hot. He was super nice with that beautiful gum blue with browns. He was gorgeous. Nice. Um, so I lost him a couple years ago and then I had a male, um, Schofield that are bred to my mug female and that did, did, did just fine. So the babies were pretty good. I had a couple babies that were kind of hard to get going, but mm-hmm. next notice that the Schofield ones, the babies are harder to get going. Now, phenotypic- the clutches just, just suck. Phenotypically, is there any major difference between the two? I don't know. I don't think so. Because I thought it seems like the, the mug ones have, are prettier. They have a little more red to them, like sort of. Yeah, the mug ones seem a little prettier. Yeah. Um. I mean, there's some in Nick's book that are just some wild ones. They got wild pictures of some of them. Yeah, I need to flip through that again. Yeah. I have it on and the they're just absolutely stunning because that's the first thing I noticed, you know, because I did Nick's basement in his house and 
mm-hmm. you know, he wouldn't let me come over for a long time. And then he found out I did drywall for a living and he needed a favor. <laughs> <laughs> so after 10 years, I finally got to come over and see all of his stuff, you know. But I remember he showed me the inland and the thing that friggin' he was like, I was waiting for you to say, look at the gray, but you didn't say that. You said, look at the brown. Because <laughs> the brown is like this orangish, beautiful brown on a on a gunmetal gray snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Burke has and one it was that's just, just like, mind-blowing. That Every time yeah. I think of Inlands, that's the one I think of, and I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about, but... Yeah, God, so that's, that's like, I think he got that from Nick, I think. Probably. I, think. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, Nick's the one that brought him into the country, so that's mm-hmm. that's probably who produced it. Either, either Justin produced it or Nick produced it. So. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, but everybody should have a pair of Brettles and a pair of Inlands in their collection if they like carpets. <laughs> and you have some brettles available right now? I do. So if anybody wants brettles. Yeah, I got some 17. Elite. I got some 17 stuff that need to go. So hmm. we held a bunch of stuff back because we were trying to find, trying to see if they were stonewashed or not, but didn't turn out. So, yeah. but, so 50% hypo blood, 50%. Um, possible hat for stonewash and 100% hat for stripe. A lot going on in those. Yeah, yeah. And if anyone is curious as to what these percentages mean, if you tune into the Herpeticulture Magazine's most recent issue, our man Billy Hunt has described and elaborated as to what carpet python genetics percent-wise mean. He broke it down. Yeah, that's okay, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we're at about an hour and 40. So, Phil, unless you have anything else. No, man, I just, uh, I wanted, to, we covered everything that I wanted to talk about. I mean, Australia and Fuscus and, you know, just breeding Morelia, man. It's mm-hmm. awesome. I love yeah, it. Yeah, so, you know, I'm working with a lot of stuff, so. Also, hopefully we get some. White lips to go this year, and some popping nice. olives, and more chondros. So some, uh, some con- I would really love my manicories to go. Really love for them to go. So um, I'll be paying close got, attention to that. So I've been trying for the last couple of years, and last year I thought she was going to go. She swelled up, but then nothing happened. So hmm. I, she faked me out. So I was really hoping she was going <laughs> to go. So if she doesn't go this year, I'm going to. I'm going to try a new trick that Ryan just, just told me about same with my white lips. So, um, he said, if they don't go, just take them off food for like four months. Don't feed them at all. Mm-hmm. And then when you start up just before you start up for the couple months before you start up for the breeding season, you start feeding the shit out of them. Sort of. And, uh, restarting them a little bit. Yeah. Reboots them. So he said, was a trick that uh that the Barkers told them, so cool. So we'll give that a shot. So hopefully the off ones might go this year. So then I've had the mailing with both of them. They haven't tried to eat and eat them, so that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's always nice. <laughs> so I'm just gotta kind of stand there and watch them for a few minutes, and see what's gonna happen in case you gotta break something up. But yeah, 
that wouldn't be a fun one to break up. No, <laughs> no, not, not at all. I don't know if I could get them apart. So, well, if people well, want it's a to, pleasure, guys. Yeah, if people to, want to get in contact or see what you got for sale. Where can they? Where can they go? Uh, my Facebook page, um, Mark Warrior Reptiles. You know, they can always messenger me or or give me a fun, give me a call. Cool. You know, I'm not afraid to answer the phone. So. So yeah. All right, man. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Glad to have you on. Yeah, thanks. It was it was a pleasure. It was fun talking with you guys. Absolutely. We'll uh well we might have to do just a Condra specific episode for the Condra cast at some point. I haven't done an episode of that in a hot minute. So Yeah, it'd be fun. Cool. So I'm not I'm no expert or nothing, but you know, I dabble in it a little bit. Seems At least like he's modest. I was gonna say it seems like you've done plenty. I think it. I think yeah. it qualifies. But. Yeah, just you know, just paying attention what your animals are telling you. You know, that's that's a that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like like I said, that Wamina clutch wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened if you know I wasn't watching what these guys were telling me. So, yeah. and you can sometimes tell, you know, especially with chondros and. You know, on the scrubs and some of the stuff the males are telling you they want. They're they're ready. They want to breed. Yeah. You know, they're cruising like crazy. My males in there are just my male chondros are just going nuts in there. And they're at the front of the cage trying to get out. I know what I know why. Yep. You know, You'll never be good at stand up if you don't read the room. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so that you know, they you know, they can smell those females, so they're trying to get to them. Mm. Yeah. So so I'll be pairing some stuff up this weekend, so that's the plan. Cool, yeah. man. We'll, we'll, so uh, we'll make it happen down the road, and um, yeah, I'm glad you got here. Glad we had you. All on. right, yeah. Well, thanks for having me, and it was a pleasure. And hope to talk with you guys again. Yeah, man. Enjoy the rest Most of your definitely. evening. All righty. Thanks so much. All right, thank you. Bye. All right, bye. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. I just want to talk chondros all the time, man. Yeah, yeah, I I don't really share that sympathy. I don't know why. You're missing out. I I I don't know, man. I like I want to. Like I see all my friends have them. Even the ones that like aren't even into like the reptile community and it's just it just for whatever reason it just hasn't clicked to me man i don't i don't know <laughs> that freaking bite last night hurt dude <laughs> yeah i i wanted was, to i was like reading to ellie and like my hand was sore and i was like flexing my finger because it was like bruising already and stuff i was like jesus so it's like it's not even that big of a chondro i was like God. hey man at least he let go you know yeah he's i mean he's never obviously he's he's not the friendliest of of green snakes um yeah and that was a rookie mistake on my part. I was just like, yeah, let's see what he's doing under here. And he was already on. He was ready. He was waiting for me. It was an ambush. Yeah. But, you uh, you made the mistake, and uh, you won't do that ever again. <laughs> yep. But at the same time, I mean, I kind of pride myself on, you know, three-ish years of, of having not really been nailed by a chondro. Because I don't like getting bit. I don't try to get bit right know, right just it happened so yeah you just gotta be uh 
Gotta be quick, man. Gotta be quick. Archie, stay here. Archie keeps Or just go out. don't reach in there and start, gr- you know, grabbing stuff around when, uh, what are you doing? Archie's running out, doing stuff. Archie. He's a dog. That's what they do. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to run off. He's too much of a chicken. Well, my dachshund officially knows what the sound is when the pizza guy shows up. And now (laughs) he knows he knows he's getting a little bit of crust. So he he has figured out that if he if he hits the bottom right corner of the baby gate at full speed, (laughs) it just knocks it open like like the cowboy doors in a Western saloon. He just knocks that baby gate right open. (laughs) And then I get this, you know. Harry sausage running across the floor going, where's the crust? Where's the crust? Yeah. <laughs> Thank God the delivery guy doesn't, you know, think it's some kind of killer animal. <laughs> oh, this is episode 101. It is brought to you 101. by MP Cages and Exotics and Steve Snake yeah. Saucing it up. That's right. Check out both of them. Live it. Know it. Buy it. Cages and hot sauce. Is there a better combination? I think not. I don't think there is. Not when it comes from these guys. Uh, But uh, we will be back next week. Thank you all for tuning in. Same snake time. Same snake channel. Uh, Well, we can't forget that uh, Monday nights, Snakes and Stogies live on the Palmetto Coast Exotics YouTube channel. Um, Another member of the Herpeticulture Network. That's right. The Herpeticulture Network page, it gets streamed. The uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Where else does it go? I can't remember. Anyways. Don't forget that when you're streaming us live, you need to Google cast it or, you know, iPhone transmit it, whatever they call it, to your TV so that you can watch Justin and I in full you know, 4K color on the wall. It's it's better than in person. I mean, I'll I got that new webcam for it, and it's pretty baller. So it's, 1080, it's baller. 1080p, son. That's the way we do it. Yeah. So snakes and stogies. That's right. We got that new logo, which I'll hopefully be unveiling. I think tomorrow. Nice. You, you got. Uh, he sent you the link with all the different. He sent files. me that. Yeah, but I requested one more file type of the one with the text, so I could post that because I really like the cool. text he chose. So the awesome. Font, so. Yeah, man, that guy's amazing. We got to get him on. Yes, we do. Um, so if you're listening to this on November sixth, then you will probably see that new logo today. If you're listening to it tonight, November fifth, then you'll see it tomorrow. So. Heck yeah! Thank you all. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Well, thank you, Justin. You're my hero. No, you're my hero. Actually, Jacob Bratz is my hero. He's all right. He's all right. He's all right. I think we'll keep him. See you. Bye. Good night, Moon. Good night, Moon. <laughs> a comb and a brush and a bowl full of mush. Oh, we have to have you do like a dramatic reading of Verdi or something on Snakes and Stogies. Yeah, I can't do it like live though. That's just being well, then we, we'll that's pre-record weird. it. 
Well, I need like a smoking jacket with like a fireplace. You can totally be smoke like have a cigarette hanging out of your mouth while you're reading it, and we'll post it up on like YouTube Kids as like a story. That's reading. horrible. <laughs> like, Absolutely hey kids, horrible. I got my 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 glass of gin and my camel <laughs> crush. Join me like, listen, as we read Birdie. Yeah, we're gonna sit here. I'm gonna read you a book. It's Hollywood Wives. This is called Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. Okay, on that note, we're really leaving now. Bye, Bye guys and gals. Later.